a black executive perspective. Look, man, they didn't get a chance to play chess. They had to play checkers. Let's talk about it, T. Openly and honestly. There was a lot of smart kids there. Black executive perspective. Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A black executive perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. In this episode, we are all in this together. We are joined by Rebecca Nunez, CEO of the MRN Agency from the Latinx community. We discuss their pride in their heritage, the discrimination they face, and how we can all come together to advance our efforts and improve our society. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit. And as some of you know, the Black community shares a great pride for our love and our culture. Yet, we're not met with the same love and appreciation from society. Unfortunately, the Black community is not the only group that faces discrimination and bias in this country. In this episode, we are all in this together. We are joined from the Latinx community, Rebecca Nunez, who is the CEO of MRN Agency. Rebecca will discuss the Latinx community's pride in their heritage, the discrimination that they face, and how we all can come together to advance our efforts and improve our society. Let me tell you a little bit about Rebecca. Rebecca Nunez is the founder, owner, and CEO of the MRN Agency a female and minority-owned company specializing in cultural intelligence. Under her leadership, MRN received numerous honors in 2022. The agency was ranked as Adweek's number four fastest-growing agency in the United States. MRN has been ranked one or two in the categories of women-led agency, minority-led agency, West Coast-based agency, and the top international agency. MRN's growth is anchored in Rebecca's standing as a cultural intelligence expert, and the team she built mirrors that. In 2023, Rebecca was named one of the top 50 women leaders of Los Angeles and was listed amongst the enterprising women of the year. Rebecca still manages to pull up others with her on the climb to the top. She is dedicated to the hiring and professional development of young people, especially women of color. She has created internships for them since the early days of the MRN agency and mentors her 70% female and 90% multicultural staff with an attentive focus. Rebecca, welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Tony, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited for you to be here too. And obviously talk about a very important topic, right? Is that at the end of the day, you know, as an African-American, we look at the inequities that we deal with on a daily, monthly, yearly basis. However, we know that there are other groups of individuals who deal with those same inequities. So today we're going to talk about the Latinx community and hear from you in terms of the things that 
they go through. And then more importantly, how we can all come together as one and make society great. However, before we we start into that, we love to get a little bit of your background. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, first of all, I've got to say I'm especially excited to be here because I think your introduction really hit it nail on. There's so oftentimes conversations around marginalized communities in corporate America, and we think either Latinx, Black, right? We we separate it, but the truth sure. is so much both intersection and crossover. And so these open dialogue and conversations, I think they're so important because there's so many learnings and also insights that as your listeners listen and as you and I get to know each other deeper on this podcast, I'm sure we'll find that there's so much more that we've all experienced that are alike and and are able to help each other through. So I really appreciate the platform and this discussion. Uh, To tell you a little bit about myself, well, first of all, that was a beautiful introduction and I started the agency in May 2020. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, I was previously, I grew up in the big three agencies here in, in Los Angeles, talent agencies, marketing agencies, you know, your your traditional path towards corporate America, which we'll, we'll get into a lot of the, the gaps that exist there. And my very important job all of a sudden became eliminated in a redundancy when mm-hmm. the pandemic happened. I found myself like so many others laid off unemployed and I did what we all did. We thought it'd be three months of a little time off. As we know, it was much more than that. And so I decided what better time to bet on myself than when the world was on fire. And Mm -hmm. what I also found is that there were so many brands and clients that were looking for agencies that were more nimble, less expensive, a little more creative and a much, you know, very difficult time for our industry. And so the MRN agency was built and began from my living room kitchen table. And then it went to my garage. And then by the end of that year, we had our first office here in Los Angeles, which is our headquarter. And then by the beginning of 2021, we opened up our international office in Mexico City. And so The whole premise of our agency and really what gave me the courage to jump and to do it on my own was this idea that I thought that we could do things differently. Mm -hmm. There was a space and opportunity for a woman of color to beat the 92% fail rate of female founders of color. And I decided I wanted to embrace being part of the 8%, the 8% that actually doesn't fail. And so, so oftentimes we, especially as multicultural communities, we get in our own ways because we hear these big stats around failure, around Mm -hmm. how it's so much harder for our communities to get funding and how it's so much more difficult for us to get a seat in the room. And when the reality is we have the power of if they don't give us a seat, let's build our own table. Mm -hmm. And so that's what our agency, that's our ethos, that's our DNA. And I think it also is what our differentiator is and gives us a little bit of that competitive angle when we're sitting at the RFP table. That is awesome. And number one, that's all attitude, right? And it's an attitude that I'm not going to be part of a a negative percentage. I'm going to take my own destiny in my own hands and I'm going to make something happen. So that is awesome. So let me ask you this, who had the most influence in your life? Because from where you've come from, working in the advertising community and an agency standpoint, getting laid off, And then obviously building something from your living room table. Obviously, you know, not everybody is sitting, as they sit in the living room table, they're not thinking, you know what, I think I'm going to go start my own agency, right? So who had the most influence in your life, Rebecca? 
I always say I was raised, I'm the youngest of three girls, a hardworking, blue collar, Hispanic parents that immigrated to this country in the early 70s. I'm first generation Mexican-American and this kind of grit and determination. I have this photo of my parents standing on the steps of the LA Convention Center holding their citizenship certificate. And my dad is wearing, you know, powder mom has this tie around her neck, this bow, because that's what she'd see, you know, on American TV. That's what Americans look like. And their face as they're standing on the steps, this pride of holding that certificate has always inspired me. They came to this country because they saw the opportunity and they knew that with enough grit and determination and attitude and belief, anything was possible. And so my dad owned a business. He just recently retired. My mom, she worked in real estate. And well, what I saw them both do is work really, really hard. So I have no pedigree, zero privilege. Everything has been a struggle, but it almost feels like I'm making those hopeful 20 year old kids proud when they mm. stood there saying, I'm going to create, I'm going to, I know that there's an opportunity here. And what's really funny about that is I used to believe that the way to make my parents proud was to have a corner office, to move up that corporate ladder. And they'd be so proud of that business card or that assistant or that glass building I was in. And so I had this idea. And so for so long, even though I never really had a seat at the table, I allowed myself to be quiet and small because I thought that was the American dream. I thought mm -hmm. that was the way of making their sacrifices feel honored. When in reality, I now know today that even if I fail at this, at owning my own agency, this is what is making them proud, right? Because they didn't travel and leave their home country just for me to stay small and quiet in a beautiful executive boardroom where half the time I was only invited because I was a female or a minority. But now we're, you know, I'm, I can understand that pride of if you work really hard and you do good things and you have that moral compass and you also pay it forward. That is really a way of honoring their sacrifice. So my parents is the short answer. <laughs> that is awesome. And I love how you, you went from just being happy to be there to having a better understanding of what it really means and being able to honor your parents for the sacrifices they made to come to this country. So that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So are you ready to have this discussion? Let's do it. All right, Rebecca, let's talk about it. So one of my first questions, and you stated earlier that typically we are in our own little silos in terms of what's happening to us. And, you know, this is this, and this is that to our community. And we kind of forget about the other communities that are non-white and the things that they go through. So the question I have is, is that, you know, typically you heard the term Hispanic for years. Now it's called Latinx. And, and, and again, it probably been around a lot longer. So just so we're all on the same page for myself and our audience, can you define like, what is Latinx? Sure. So Latinx has been a, now globally recognized, more inclusive term, because so many people didn't know that you can be Latino, but not Hispanic. 
can be Hispanic and not Latino. There is a difference. If you are from a you know Latino background versus just being Hispanic, there's also a difference between being U.S. Hispanic or naturalized Hispanic, first and second generation Hispanic. So the term Latinx helps create more inclusivity around our entire community, meaning it also includes our brothers and sisters of the LGBTQ plus community. So many times Latino has a connotation of that masculine ending, which has more to do with language than intent. So Latinx really helps open the doors. And most importantly, I love that it sparks the question, right? I think we were all just complacent. Oh, I'm Hispanic. I'm Latino. Well, now we're saying Latinx and people are going, what does that mean? And yes. Yes. That is so great that we're finally asking instead of assuming. Got it. So an inclusive nomenclature that includes everybody within the Latin community. And then to your point, it doesn't put everybody in one bucket, male, female, whatever the case may be. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So now speaking of that, that sounds like a very positive thing, right? However, I've seen in the press and the media, you know, even some friends of mine, I don't like the term Latinx. So what's the negativity around it? Because I have seen some negativity as well. You're right. And the truth is that it goes back to giving a space for people to feel comfortable with their comfort levels. I will say my parents, they probably wouldn't consider themselves Latinx. They are very proud U.S. Hispanics. It means something to them to say. So I think a lot of it has to do with cultural differences within our generations. Mm -hmm. I think a more younger, your Gen Z demographic is a lot more open to considering themselves as Latinx because it helps, again, create that inclusivity and mm -hmm. broaden the conversation. I think more maybe first generation or even immigrant Hispanics may have a harder time with it. Also, there's a lot of cultural pride about being a person from a Latin American country. And so maybe someone who comes from a Spanish country doesn't feel represented with the Latinx community because they do feel like, well, you know, we find that we are more Hispanic. So I think it's just a matter of preference. In my opinion, I think the more conversation, the more rhetoric around it, the more questions being asked, the better. Because at the end of the day, there is no right or wrong way to refer to our community. Mm -hmm. I think us moving towards a direction of trying to find a more inclusive nomenclature mm -hmm. I think is the right way to go. But with that said, I also think people should feel comfortable and prideful of what feels more natural to them. Got it. Which makes sense, right? Because people identify by, to your point, they can identify from the country that they came from. They can okay. identify based on the time frame in terms of where they came from and then coming here. So I definitely get it. And I really appreciate you defining that. Here's the thing, though, and this goes into our, our episode, We Are All In This Together. It doesn't really matter if you're, you know, Hispanic and again, Cuban, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Dominican. The Latinx community still faces discrimination. And one of the things as being an African-American, again, we focus on what we've gone through in this country. But I would, it would be great for you to kick us off in terms of, and you kind of spoke to it earlier, you know, when you started your own business, right? Or coming to corporate America, I should say. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that we may not understand as a group. We may have ideas, but we may not understand as a group when it comes to discrimination with the Latinx community. So I think... The biggest misconception is this idea that 
within our Latinx community, we all have the same experiences, mm -hmm. when in reality, they are very, very different. So to your point, a Cuban American immigrant story is radically different than a Mexican immigrant story. While we're all one community and we're all, you know, under the same umbrella, our experiences are what really shape how and, and what our value sets are and what we expect either in our job, from our employer, from our own professional expectations. And this is why I go back to cultural intelligence. What does cultural intelligence mean? Cultural intelligence is looking beyond the skin deep definition of our ethnicity, our cultural background. The reality is if we look at the subculture of a line X member like myself, I am shaped by my parents' immigrant story, my hometown, my traditions, my affiliations. Those are my subcultures that are very much ingrained in me and that shape the human that I am. Every person, not just within our Latinx community, but in all communities, really, we have to really dig deeper and double click to that subculture. Mm -hmm. Once we have an understanding of those value sets that truly make us up, it's almost like our DNA molecules, right? And it's so much beyond, are you from a Mexican descent, Puerto Rican, Cuban? And I think having that honest conversation is so important. And I think employers and corporate America should open those doors for that conversation. So oftentimes I know that I've been in rooms where the pitch is about, we're trying to reach the Hispanic market in Miami. Okay. Let's make sure that the ads are in Spanish, but wait, hold on. The tonality is the way that you're speaking to that community in Mexican Spanish mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or Cuban or Puerto Rican, right? Mm -hmm. Are you using, so it's understanding, especially in my industry marketing, the way you reach the U.S. Hispanic consumer in Los Angeles is wildly different than the person in Dallas, than the person mm -hmm. in Miami, than the person in New York. And so oftentimes we get generalized and that in turn creates more marginalization, right? Because the hardest part is we don't always raise our hand and speak up and say, well, actually that doesn't resonate with me because I am not from Puerto Rico. I'm not Dominican. My background isn't in Panama, but that is still very much my brothers and sisters within the Latinx community, but we have wildly different subcultures. And so it's so important for that to be recognized. And I think, unfortunately, I know I've been invited to the room simply because I'm brown. Right. Mm. And, oh, we need representation. We need the Hispanic community to be represented. So let's enter Rebecca. The truth is that I am one piece of representation of our giant community. And so that's where the echo chamber starts to happen. How many times have you seen an actual news scratch your head and you go, how did that get approved? How did that campaign that was obviously very either passively racist or mm. <laughs> who approved that? Well, that's because it's an echo chamber. You have the same people in the same room who are not representative of the subcultures of our communities. And so if, yes, you have one Rebecca there, she doesn't speak for our entire Latinx community. You must have true representation. You must have people from the diversity within the diverse groups. And that's where so oftentimes the miss happens. And it's funny in attempts to be inclusive, it could feel 
less because you do feel like you are only as valuable, at least this is how I felt, that I was only as valuable as the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. And I was invited to those rooms for that reason versus my knowledge, my experience, my professionalism. It felt very marginalized. And I can't tell you the amount of times I would dare to raise my hand and the same things I'm sure the Black community hears all the time. Rebecca, you're too aggressive about this. Or you sound angry when you're talking about this subject or topic. Or Rebecca, that's great, but I think we should wait. That opinion should wait when we're talking about, you know, the Hispanic audience. I don't know if that's a general comment, mm-hmm. right? And so, so oftentimes I would feel, and this is where we're slowly getting into a place that there is more representation in leadership. But if it doesn't start from the top, correct. then, you know, it doesn't trickle down. Correct. Correct. Thanks for sharing. You know, one of the things, and you just got finished talking about cultural intelligence and going deeper than just the color because there's a subculture and that takes work, right? That takes work. And a lot of times people want to put people in boxes. You're Hispanic, you're black. Now, when it comes to European countries, it's easy to say this person's Irish, (laughs) this person's Italian, they're Polish, they're Germany. But when it comes to people of color, it's either Asian, you're black, or you Hispanic, and, and obviously there's other cultures as well that get lumped together. So I definitely hear what you, I love what you said about cultural intelligence. And that means you have to do some work. You can't just automatically assume that person, you know, looks a certain way, you know, they're Mexican. Okay. Or more importantly, look, I'm African-American and, some, and, and you could look at me and think I'm from the U.S., but I could be from Nigeria. Or I could be from, you know, the Dominican, right? To be fair. So thank you for sharing that. Now, let me ask you this, because this is one of the things. And again, our title is we are all in this together. We kind of forget that our Latinx brothers and sisters go through a lot of different things. You just name three things from a corporate standpoint. You're too aggressive. You're too loud. (laughs) All right. Some of the things that we hear, you know, as being African-American or black in, in corporate America. And then obviously, when we think about incarceration rates, we see that African-American and Hispanics, and I'm just going to use the term Hispanics, that's how they have it labeled, is higher in terms of white people that's incarcerated. In terms of jobs, we can, I can go on and on, jobs, wealth, all that type things. At the end of the day, African-Americans, black people and Hispanics or Latinx fall below the wayside against pretty much everybody else, right? So why do you think from our communities that we don't come together and have a unified voice. And I can say the same thing from an Asian standpoint, right? But why is it that we're set up in a linear silo standpoint and we're arguing about nine times out of 10, the same stuff that each group is arguing about? Now it's, it's such an interesting point because so oftentimes it's easier to blame everyone else. There's a lot of work that our communities need to do. I know that I will say we as a Latinx community don't do a great job at organizing. I think there's a few reasons for that. I once got a perspective. I was having a, a similar conversation with a colleague and he brought up such an interesting point. He said, when people say things like, go back to where you're from, to a person who is, for example, myself, who is Mexican and live in Los Angeles, where the border is two hours away, 
that sort of hateful speech feels really real. And it feels scary because you're in Texas, home is two hours away, right? So I think there's, we're as a Latinx community, we feel like it's better to stay under the radar because the less they see us, the smaller we are. And that's been ingrained in us as a community. I mean, at least for me as a child, right? My parents' immigrant story has been so huge in my life. But this idea of so many people I grew up with that were here illegally, deportations were something I would see when I was in school growing up, families getting separated. My friends, their parents always afraid that they would get caught or they were stuck in the, you know, the immigration line, which, you know, there's a lot of reform that needs to be done there. And so I think the big difference between our communities that I think we should have a better and open conversation is our fear of, because every time you think of, you know, our former president talking about immigrants, you think Hispanic, right? Even though they're immigrants of all different countries and all different ethnicities. But the first thing that comes to your head is, oh, all those Mexicans crossing the border, right? And so it's something that's so ingrained in us to be fearful. And so, for example, the BLM movement was so inspirational to me because to see a community truly organize and come together, regardless of what anyone feels about it, the truth of the matter is the country heard. The Mm -hmm. country listened and the black community did not allow fear of very real fear of police or fear of so much hate and discrimination and racism, but this collective organization. And I I think that our community, Latinx, we need to not be fearful of, hey, they're going to deport us if we're too Latin, right? Our home country really is just across that wall, if you will. And so I think that's a big piece as to why we're not louder. Mm-hmm. which is work. I think even me starting my own agency and hiring people of color of all different backgrounds and ethnicities and asking subculture questions and hiring process, I think that's a way to organize and it's a way to start change. But yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. And a lot of it is looking inwards and not letting fear really paralyze us, which I think is is just the root of a lot of it. Yeah. So when you say fear, I definitely understand. Well, look, let's be fair. You know, I was in corporate America for 30 something years and never spoke about race because I've seen what happened to people who did. Right. They didn't become successful. Right. Even though they were right in what they were stating, at the end of the day, it just didn't work for them. So I definitely hear the fear outside of the deportation, though. What is the other fears of not just speaking up? Because here's the thing. I remember as being a kid, I'm a, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to share a story with you if that's okay. So I remember being a kid growing up in Detroit, Michigan. And for me, and to be fair, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. In my neighborhood, there, was, there wasn't any people from Mexico or Puerto Rico or whatever the case may be. I didn't meet somebody from Puerto Rico until I went to the military. Okay. So obviously where you grow up has a lot to do in terms of your experiences. But this is the thing. When I was a kid and I remember hearing somebody, a neighbor, and when I say a kid, I'm talking, I was probably, before I went in the military, so I was probably 16, 17. And I remember somebody talking bad about Jewish people. And I was shocked. It was a white person. And in my mind, I'm like, 
Why don't they like Jewish people? They're white too, <laughs> okay? It was simple for me. It was either black or white, right? And so I go to the same thing here is that at the end of the day, we all, blacks, Latinx, Asians, we all deal with inequities. We all deal with some type of discrimination, but we don't band together. It's like some people, it's just like, for real, are, are we really up? I mean, it's just like, and I, I still scratch my head. Why? So back to my question, outside of the deportation, what is the fear in terms of speaking up for your God-given right to be treated like a regular human being like everybody else? Well, and I'll go back to that deportation piece. It's this ingrained mentality. It's not the actual belief of getting deported. It's, right. it's we're, we're taught, stay small, be quiet, don't right. be too loud. It's that fear mentality, right? Of if you're too loud, you know, you're going to be noticed. And it's funny because I think that to your point, why don't we band together? I don't think that's enough open dialogue around each other's experience. I think we are very one dimensional. I can tell you my personal experience as a first generation Mexican American, the many instances of racism that I've experienced from not being weighted at or people thinking I can't afford a certain thing, right? And so it happens all the time. My dad, you know, he hardworking blue collar truck driver started his own business, would never get the same contracts that, you know, his white counterpart would open discrimination and racism. We see our struggle as very linear and we don't cross talk and say, Hey, wait, you're also being called that too. Wait, you're also being said that you're too loud. You're also being accused of being too aggressive. You're also have one box when so many others have so many, I think it's this open and also taking away the fear of saying the wrong thing, mm. right? Because you may be, and, and this is why I commend you in, in this open dialogue of we're in it together. I think I would be fearful of saying, oh, can you tell me about your experience, right? I think we don't have enough platforms like this to say, mm. hey, safe space. You can ask me because you just don't know. Like you said, you didn't meet a person who was Hispanic until mm -hmm. you were older. That's not your fault. It's okay that you didn't know. It's okay that you didn't have that experience. It's also amazing to ask. And I think we're fearful. And unfortunately, outside of the own fear that we've got like this innate, you know, be quiet in us, you have a very sensitive society around us that almost also puts barriers and says, you don't want to ask that wrong question. You don't want to say the wrong term. Wait, you said Latinx and not Hispanic. What does that mean? When I think it's okay to just right. say, I don't know. Can you explain it to me? I'll never know what it's like to be a black community member in the U.S. You'll never know what it feels like to be a Hispanic community member in the U.S. But we should be able, even though we can't necessarily empathize with each other because we don't have the exact experience, we should be able to learn and we should be able to then band together. And I think it's just opening the dialogue. Right. And I also think, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but Sometimes it just feels because there's so much weight that we're always carrying around. It almost feels easier just to go like blinders. I'm only going to worry about our issues because, oh my gosh, if we start adding. But the truth is like any molecule that bands together, it gets stronger. And I think we think we're stronger alone when the reality is once we start linking up, then we become unbreakable. And so many of our struggles are the same. 
that I agree with you. And I don't know what the answer is, but I think yeah. that the answer should be, we need to open this conversation. We need to not be afraid to ask questions and listen to each other. So thank you for that. And what's interesting, we usually think that is white people being afraid to have conversations, right? Because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They're not as educated on anything from a minority standpoint. So I, you know, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to rub somebody the wrong way. I don't want to come across and be labeled as a racist because I didn't know this and that, which at the end of the day, to your point, doesn't, I mean, we should all, you know, have open conversation, but to your point, right? Even the people of color communities don't have these conversations or are afraid because they may say the wrong thing. And I love what you said about the Hispanic community is staying small and being quiet. So if you're staying small and being quiet, you're not really going to have any conversation, right? You're going to try to keep it to your own. This is where I struggle. And let me see if you can help me. I don't know how much you charge an hour for psychiatry, but I'm pretty sure you give me a deal. Bill, don't worry. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So the way I look at things is that, and just understanding how things are done here in the United States not just from my own opinion, through history, facts, the whole nine yards. I automatically, because of being a black man, growing up as a black kid, dealing with all the stuff that I dealt with, and then I, I see other people of color, and I automatically assume that they're going through the same thing, okay? Because just the way things are set up, right, from a, a majority standpoint and a minority standpoint, I, I automatically... However, I've chatted with some of my friends and sometimes some of the stuff I chat with them about, and I'm talking my Latinx, Hispanic friends, even Asian friends, right? They kind of look at me like I'm crazy, <laughs> okay? Like they're kind of lost. Like, what are you talking about? And I don't know if that is based on what you were saying about staying small, not being loud. How can we, and you, like you said, you didn't know the answer, but if you were able to wave a magic wand and not just say everything goes away, but what would it look like? What should we be doing in terms of working together, being more open about regardless if we're African-American, Hispanic, Cuban, I can go on and on. What does that collective, that collaboration look like? So I don't know how or where this started, but I, I do think it's part of the problem. How many organizations are you part of that are Black specific? Because I know I'm a part of a lot of organizations that are Hispanic specific. And to your point, our struggles, different, different for sure, but the same at the same time, if that makes sense, right? I think of I'm part of a Hispanic small business entrepreneur networking organization. I'm sure if there was a global minority organization, we have the same struggles, Correct. right? You have the same issues in hiring and firing that I do, but we still very much, even within our own communities, create our own Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, Black Chamber of Commerce, right? And then we say, why don't we talk? Well, because we've created our own barriers around ourselves, around even topics like networking, right? We would think about in business, how much more business we would do if we combined forces. This mm -hmm. is why I would say that one thing we fail to recognize that I think is a very valuable point here is between the black and brown community, we have the highest buying power in the United States. Mm. We have the highest buying power. We control the wallet. 
And yet we are too busy keeping ourselves separate and allowing ourselves. And as a marketer, I can tell you, I mean, there are tactics to engage the Hispanic community. There are tactics to engage the black community. Correct. And then there's general audience. Then there's everyone else and they get all the big market and they get all the dollars and they get all the splashy stuff. And we get maybe a couple people that look like us in a commercial. Uh, exactly. And my community, if I get an actual Spanish speaker and not just a dubbed over of a general audience commercial, but if we were to have a conversation around how powerful we are as a community and as a whole, I think we would then, that is our true power. Mm -hmm. We can control how these big, big corporations talk to us. We can control what we do and do not purchase. We can control which brands that we support because they support our communities. So I think that in a perfect wave my wand world, these like organizations, these alliances that we're all part of, we should really bring them together. Mm -hmm. I think we would find so much more strength in numbers, number one. And number two, if we learned how to talk to each other, I think we would then know how to demand how to be spoken to. But because we don't know that yet, at least our community is far away. I think of, you know, even as silly as this may sound, but when the Oscars did not have enough representation, the black community was like, we do not stand for this. Hispanics were like, we're okay. We're just, we're okay. <laughs> we're not complaining. That's cool. We have, you know, but that's because we, again, we're here. But if we were part of this bigger alliance and we're like, wait, you know what? You're right. It's not just about there not being enough black representation. Not everyone is Eva Longoria. There is right. more, there are more Hispanic women out there. Right. right. And I think that would be it. Like if we just combined all of these amazing alliances and, and groups and organizations that we have that keep us separate and combine them together like we're doing today and having a really honest conversation. I think that that's it. It starts with that. And you're a hundred percent right. And here's the thing though, which is and number one, Rebecca Nunes, you're just awesome. Really love you breaking it down. As much as we say that the white community has a lot of work to do in terms of educating itself on minorities, we have a lot of work to do, right? in terms of educating ourselves on our other brothers and sisters of color. And see, here's the issue. You can't just point fingers at one and not look in the mirror and see yourself and say, well, wait a minute. Do I know my brothers and sisters from a Hispanic standpoint, Latinx standpoint, Asian standpoint? Do I understand what they're going through? Am I willing to band together with them and create one voice? So there's definitely a lot of work that we need to do to educate ourselves. And to your point, have that open and honest discussion, which to be honest, seems like it would be easy to do. All right. However, you know, and you know this, Rebecca, there was a strategy that was in place hundreds of years ago called divide and conquer. Right. And even though we're in 2023, that strategy has worked because to your point, we're still very linear and we're very singular, even crying about the same stuff. We do it and looking at our own challenges without looking to the left and right and seeing what our brothers and sisters are going through. Let me ask you this real quick question. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how does colorism play into this, right? Because back when I was in the military, a friend of mine who was Puerto Rican, he explained, he was like, Tony. We were talking about race. So, Rebecca, I was having this conversation years ago, just so you know. <laughs> okay. And we were talking about race. And then he was telling me about the hierarchy in the Hispanic community, how 
Cubans feel this way and Mexicans are looked at this way. And if you're dark skin, you're kind of shunned. But if you're light skin, you know, you get opportunities. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, we hear colorism all the time within the black community. It is so, so relevant within the Latinx community. And I'll, I'll break it down. It, it goes so far as within a ethnicity. So I'll give you an example. Cuban Americans or Cubans in general, you can find a Cuban who has green eyes, blonde hair, fair skin, and also someone who is Afro-Latino, who has more Caribbean vibes, darker skin, dark olive eyes, all Cuban. So within there is the hierarchy. Exactly. Right? And so you'll, you, you start to see even in government, most leaders within those countries are fair skin versus the darker skin. We forget all about Afro-Latinos, which might be our bridge, honestly, <laughs> because there's so much colorism there too, even again within Puerto Ricans, because the closer you get to the Caribbean, the more Afro-Latino is more African influence there is, right? And so you start to see that, but then you can also get fair-skinned Puerto Rican. Within the Mexican community, it goes even further because you have the tribal disputes between Mayans and Aztecs or Incas. So which tribe are you from? And so if you're Aztec, which my lineage is from, you're a little fairer. We still have the dark eyes, but your skin is fair. If you are Mayan, you're much deeper skin and you also look a lot more indigenous to mm. the tribe. And so there's so much almost infighting amongst ourselves of, well, well, I'm actually Aztec, you know, well, I, my people created the Mayan calendar. Well, we have that, right? I mean, it's, and again, it's so funny when I think through the conversation around how do you look left and right, mm -hmm. there's, there's a piece of put your own mask first, right? We as a community have a lot of inward work to do to even be accepting amongst ourselves, because believe it or not, there is inner racism within the Latinx community. And so you will find that people may have a preconceived stereotypical notion of what a Salvadorian work style is versus a Mexican work style. And we, amongst our own community, will sometimes reinforce those stereotypes through our own actions, our own words. So a piece of it also is we got to look inward. And it's funny because these are almost no one asks about colorism within this violence. No one. So I really appreciate it. I don't think anyone has ever asked me this question. Frankly, I don't think I've even had an open dialogue about it within my friend group or within my family. It just is. It just is something that is, and it's ingrained and we know, but that's a lot of work we have to do. And, mm -hmm. and it's funny because the black community has to do the same exact work. <laughs> Flat, my girl, flat out, no question. We have colorism. I was a kid growing up in Detroit, Michigan. Again, I was called every black name because I'm dark skinned by light skinned kids, right? And guess what? It was huge, huge. So do you think that that also has an effect where you have lighter skinned individuals who, like you said, you're Cuban, green eyes, can pretty much pass for white. So do you think that also has an effect in terms of they see themselves as being white, as not part of the Latinx Hispanic community, thus they don't need to speak up about any of these issues? Yes, I do think that it's an unconscious bias. Mm. I don't believe that it's conscious. I think that so many people have inherent privilege, you know, whether they won the genetic DNA lottery or whether they're more fair skin within a minority group, 
I think unconscious bias is real. And so if the problem doesn't affect me, then I might not necessarily need to raise my hand because, you know, I'm not being called a wetback because I don't look like one. Right. And so that I think is unconscious bias, which we all need to work on. I know that I'm sure there's tons of unconscious bias I have based on my own upbringing and experience and and backgrounds and that shapes who you are. So, yeah, I don't think it's intentional. I think it, it just, hey, I don't have to worry about it. So why should I? But this is why these conversations are important, because I'm sure there's plenty of people who are going to be listening to this episode and be on the lighter scale of the spectrum and go, man, I never really thought about mm. that I might have an easier time than my other Hispanic colleague that is from Honduras and has darker mm. skin and looks more indigenous than I do, who may look a little more fair skin. general audience. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. So I think it's unconscious. I don't think it's, at least my experience has been that I don't think it's intentional. Well, listen. Number one, what is intentional is you being here and sharing your perspective, which is a very important one. And obviously, based on this conversation today, we have a lot of work. We deal with the same issues, okay? And to your point, sometimes we don't recognize it. We stay in our own boxes, but we deal with the same issues. And it's important to understand those issues and more importantly, come together. Final thoughts for our audience, Rebecca. I think that you mentioned this idea of it's so much easier to put people in boxes. We have to remember who created the boxes and it's up to us to, we can either put a roof on that box and call it a home, or we can decide, Hey, let's break down these walls and we're going to flatten this box out because I don't fit in it. And so I think the responsibility is with us. It's so much easier to your point to blame other people. And to say, this is why I marginalized. This is why I didn't get this job. The truth is we hold all the power. We have all the abilities to make the change in our lives that we want to get us to where we want to be. You know, I think my parents wanted to come to this country. They struggled. They did what they needed to do and they got here. And that is an example of anything and everything is possible. So long as you have that grit and determination and no one put them in a box. And so it's up to us to say, I don't want to be in the box and I don't accept it. And so whether it is speaking up, standing up or walking out, right? Those are our choices to make. And no one has put you in a box. No one's putting me in a box. And so I hope that your listeners, that's what they get out of this. And I've really appreciated the dialogue because the truth is we don't have this conversation enough and it's been absolutely lovely. And I hope we can have it again because I want to continue learning about your experience here in our country and how I can be a better advocate and ally for the black community. And hopefully you be an advocate and ally for our community. Well, that's automatic. So you don't have to wish for that. We're definitely going to do that. Quick question for you. How can we help you, Rebecca? So I think I said at the beginning, there is a 92% fail rate for female founders of color. What would help me and what my mission is in, in owning this agency and employing people of color is we as a community need to support each other's businesses, each other's endeavors, each other's ideas, products. Right. I would, I'm always looking for, you know, when I look at products, I look at, is it minority owned? Is it woman owned? And so what would just help me is to see more representation. I want to see more of me, more of you, more of us doing this, having a microphone and unapologetically using your voice. I want more women of color 
to sit in their living room and go, I can start this business or I can bring this product to life. And I think the more we celebrate each other, the more we, I think that would help me because I, I love to see our collective communities grow. That is awesome. Rebecca Nunez, CEO of the MRN Agency, who came here in our episode today. We are all in this together. We thank you. And I can see why, as your bio said, that you're still helping people up the ladder because it's in your DNA and you just spoke about it in the end about us all coming together and that's how we can help you. So looking forward to that and love to have you come back again so we can dive deeper into this topic. So I hope you enjoyed a black executive's perspective today. Rebecca talked about in our episode, we are all in this together. And she talked about the things that we all deal with in terms of discrimination, especially from a corporate standpoint. You're too loud. Don't say this. You're being too aggressive. A lot of times as a black male and a black female, we think that's just being those comments are coming to us. But she just got here and said uh, on this episode that, no, she's heard this directly and this happens a lot. So she talked about having cultural intelligence and not lumping everybody together, right? Understanding that there's a subculture, regardless if you're Latinx, you could be Mexican or El Salvadoran or Dominican or or Puerto Rican to really doing the homework and understanding the person that you deal with. And then from our communities, she talked about us having open and honest dialogue. That's something that we're not doing. We're staying siloed and we're, you know, fighting our own fights instead of coming together and coming as one, more importantly, learning from each other first. And then number two, coming together to work together to make society equal for all of us. So I hope you got a lot out of this episode today. We are all in this together. So now I'm going to go over Tony's tidbit. And my tidbit is today. It's by Linda Thompson. Our uniqueness, our individuality, and our life experience mold us into fascinating beings. I hope we can embrace that. I pray we may all challenge ourselves to delve into the deepest resources of our heart to cultivate an atmosphere of understanding, acceptance, tolerance, and compassion. We are all in this life together. And that's by Linda Thompson. So thank you for joining a Black Executive Perspective podcast. In today's episode, we are all in this together. Please come to our website at a black perspective.com. Give us feedback. Rate us. How well did you like this episode? Was it good? Did you get your questions answered? Did I ask the right questions? How did I do? How great was Rebecca? Let us know. And then you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn at BEP Podcasts, right? And wherever you get your podcasts, you can follow us as where at BEP Podcasts. For my gracious, intelligent, smart guest, Rebecca Nunez, we thank you. My producer, Double A in the background, I'm Tony Tidbit. Come and join us next time and let's talk about it. Thanks, Jenny. A Black Executive Perspective. Look, man, they didn't get a chance to play chess. They had to play checkered. Let's talk about it, T. Openly and honestly. There was a lot of smart kids there. A black 
Executive Perspective. Now, my story is not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A Black Executive Perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A Black Executive Perspective.